0: Our guest today, Dr. Sandro Galea, is joining us from his office up in Boston. And so for those of you who've listened to previous podcasts, if it sounds a little bit different today, Sandro is our first guest who's actually completing his podcast via phone, but we're still really excited to have him here. Hello and welcome to the MVP, the Mass Violence Podcast, the official podcast of the National Mass Violence Victimization Resource Center, where we discuss all things mass violence from readiness, response, to recovery. I'm Dan Smith, the NMVVRC Director of Resources and Technology, and with me today is Dr. Sandro Galea. Uh, Dr. Galea is a physician, an epidemiologist, and an author. Uh, He's also the Dean and Robert A. Knox Professor at Boston University School of Public Health. And previously, he's had academic leadership roles at a few institutions you probably have heard of, uh, including Columbia University, the University of Michigan, and the New York Academy of Medicine. Uh, Not too shabby. He's a world-renowned expert in the areas of public health, the impact of trauma, and the social causes of health. His most recent book, which I just cannot recommend highly enough is called, Well, What We Need to Talk About When We Talk About Health. I'm sure we'll talk more about that book in just a minute, um, but I'll just sum up my introduction of Dr. Galea by saying that I've known Sandro for just about 20 years now, and he is without doubt one of the most brilliant people I've ever had the privilege of knowing and collaborating with. But perhaps even more impressively than that, He's actually been retweeted by the founder of the Huffington Post herself, Ariana Huffington. How did that happen, Sandro?
1: <laughs> well, then, thank you for having me. And, uh, this was a very kind introduction. Um, uh, Ariana and I have connected at uh, meetings over the years, and uh, we um, I, I, I actually think that she has been writing and uh, thinking about all the things that uh, I've cared about in her latest uh uh, business venture, which is uh, around Thrive. It's really about um, behavioral health fundamentally. And uh, so I actually think we have a lot of uh, ideas in common, and we have enjoyed conversations over the years.
0: That's awesome. I, I totally fanboyed out when I saw that, though. I was like, oh my God, I know him. <laughs> He's being retweeted by Ariana Huffington. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I, I kind of wanted to start pretty broad, Sandro, and, and then sort of zero in a little bit on the violence connection. I, I'm fairly confident that most of our listeners have heard of public health and, and kind of have a general sense of what it is. They probably associate it with things like vaccines and anti-smoking campaigns and, and the like, but um, as an expert in the area, what is your definition of, of public health?
1: You know, whenever I'm asked what public health is, I um I have come to define it by telling a story, which is a story that I tell in um, in the book Well that you refer to. And the story, very quickly, is one of blind Billy Johnson who mm-hmm. was born in Texas at the turn of the 20th century. He became blind in a domestic violence incident when his stepmother threw a lie in his face. He grew up poor and uh, his house burned down when he uh, was a young man and he kept living in the burnt out shell of a house because he didn't have any money. And when he was in his 40s, he developed malaria. We're now dealing with Texas in the, in the 1940s, where malaria was not all that uncommon. And his wife took him to hospital, and he was turned away from hospital. And then he died. And um, the reason I tell the story is because obviously what killed Blind Johnson was malaria, because had he had treatment for his malaria, he would have lived. But it is clear that the forces that killed Langley Johnson are not just malaria, but it's also domestic violence and racism and homelessness and poverty and access to care, and that's what public health is about. Public health is about all of those forces, and 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 chemical care and treatment is a part of what makes us healthy. But public health is about the broader context around
0: us. Excellent. Okay, so. Um you, you, you're obviously uh, an expert on public health. You're also one of the NMVVRC's sort of lead academic consultants. Um, and so maybe make that connection for us. You know, the NMVVRC is focused on mass violence, obviously. Um, what is the relation of large-scale violence to health? I mean, I suppose there are some obvious connections, <laughs> like the people who are victims of violence, get hurt and their health is affected, but are there broader or more indirect connections between violence and health?
1: I've always thought that trauma and violence are one of the most uh, immediate uh, links between the world around us and health and the health of individuals and health of populations for many reasons. Number one, uh, trauma is nearly ubiquitous. More than 90% of the population will experience trauma at some point in their lives, and there are actually relatively few forces that are as common as trauma. Number two is that trauma, by definition, is a product of the social world. Trauma does not just happen. It is a product of the world in which we live, our social interactions, how we structure our society. So as a result, trauma is a reflection of our social and economic structures. So to my mind, Trauma and violence are one one critical link between social and economic environments and our health. So I've always found it entirely consistent to be interested, as I am, in broader social economic context and in trauma and how that affects health.
0: Okay. So um, what? Explain if you can. Um, I know this is kind of a, a broad question, but. How do those connections manifest? Um, Are we talking about um, mental health, or physical health, or some combination?
1: We're talking about both, we're talking about both. The the health consequences of trauma include uh, not only uh, mental health, mental illness, but uh, they also include uh, chronic disease, like heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, obesity. And we know that the divide between Mental health and physical health is ultimately arbitrary. It's, it's, it's a, it's a distinction of convenience mm-hmm. and one that has emerged just because these fields have evolved separately. Mm-hmm. So I do think that uh, that trauma is associated with the full range of health. I mean, there are there are data, uh, some of, some from our group, some then you've done, some other people have done, that uh, show fairly convincingly that uh, trauma is linked to mental health and that that mental health is then linked to worsening of other physical health conditions. You are more likely to be diagnosed with the full range of physical health conditions if you have mental illness, and uh, your recovery is likely to be slower. So we are dealing with physiologic processes that are disrupted by trauma and that affect both mental health and physical health. Okay. Uh,
0: you, so that makes a lot of sense, particularly for those folks who have been you know, more or less directly exposed to trauma, directly exposed to a, a, a personal experience of violent victimization. Um, I'm wondering if you saw, and I, unfortunately I don't have the study right in front of me, but it was, uh, I believe this past fall, there was a survey done and it something like 48% of the population viewed themselves as being at risk for a mass violence event. and that's probably um, a a gross overestimation of the actual likelihood that that someone would experience a mass violence event. But to us here, it it sort of spoke a lot to the potential impact of fear and anxiety and avoidance behavior on uh, just sort of how we live our day-to-day lives. Does that factor in at all? Do you think into sort of how a public health professional might uh, describe the role of, of violence in determining health?
1: I do think so. I, I do think so. I mean, you, you're absolutely right that I think we, we tend to overestimate our risk of uh, being exposed to mass traumatic events all the time. And we, for example, we are we are terrified of things like school shootings. Correctly. Um, uh, but uh, the truth is, we're likelier to get uh, hit by lightning than, than we are to be in a school shooting. And um, so, so, so it is anxiety and fear that uh, colors how we see um, our risks. And, uh, you know, we are at greater risk of uh, experiencing trauma um, at the individual level at the hands of an intimate partner, for example. Every minute, uh, 20 people are victims of uh, some sort of violence committed by an intimate partner um one in two women experience sexual violence at some point in their lives. I and mean, these are much more ubiquitous forces. So I do think that there is a um a mismatch between the forces that truly shape our health and our perception thereof.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a interesting distinction and, and one that I I think I need to spend a little bit more time thinking about because that that whole role of fear, um I mean it, One of the things I took away from reading your book was just sort of how focused it was on things that we know make us healthier as opposed to things that we know that cause disease. And um, that's sort of got me thinking along that lines of, you know, fear and anxiety are just not really health promoting yeah. kinds of states to be in all the time.
1: No, of course not. And you know, what, you know, the, book, uh, the book subtitle, which is very intentional, is what we need to talk about when we talk about health. Because the, the aspiration of the book is to really try to change how we talk about health. And, uh, and part of that trying to change is moving us beyond talking about healthcare to talking about health, which are quite different things. And we perceive these things differently. We we have had an overwhelming investment in doctors and medicine, and mm-hmm. this overwhelming investment has made us see health as a private commodity, something mm-hmm. that we can buy and sell. But of course, we cannot buy and sell health. What we can buy and sell is health care. Health ultimately is a state of not being sick to begin with, and uh, if, if we are to move to a health system instead of a sick care system, which is what we currently have, we need to invest. In the preventive conditions of health, we need to invest in safe houses, in good schools, and livable wages, and gender equity, clean air, drinkable water, fair economy, and and those are the forces of public health. Those are the forces that create health.
0: Okay. Um, so yeah, you're you're almost. It's like you're reading off the questions I have prepared uh, for you here, because I mean that that really was a a, a great segue. Um, I mean one of the things I was gonna ask you about was how in the book you talk about how, um, at least in the United States and and certainly in in some other countries as well, um, we've basically adopted an individual approach to health promotion, right? I'm going to uh, go to the gym more often. I'm going to cut fat out of my diet. I'm going to eat healthier, eat macrobiotics or whatever. Um, But that whole approach generally has been unsuccessful, and um, I'm just curious about what you think people should be doing, and and, and by people here, I I guess I mean individual people, as opposed to sort of social structures, or or maybe there's a question in there about how individuals um, influence social structures to make the kinds of changes uh, and, and move towards a health promotion Society than a, a sick care society.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you're they're actually you're embedding a lot of questions. About
0: yes, i not, not good interview part. technique.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's uh, number one. The uh, we know that individual behavior change works far less than we think it does. We we, we, have, an, we have a we have a a vastly overinflated sense of how much uh, individual behavior change works. And, you know my first, my favorite example of this is uh, one of the biggest successes of health in the past century, which is uh, motor vehicle death and uh, motor vehicle deaths have gone down you know, your chance of dying per mile you drive is down more than two hundred fold in the past century. Wow. but the reason for that is not because we're better drivers. The reason for that is because of our cars Because our cars with seatbelts, because of airbags with a shatterproof glass, because of laws that do not allow us to drive while we're under the influence of alcohol. so it's a classic case where the fundamental behaviour the fundamental behaviour which is driving probably hasn't changed very much, but we've changed the world around it to make driving much safer. The uh, and, and that really applies to everything else and, and that is why focusing only on individual behaviour is a recipe for us to continue to have poor health. Another illustration of this recently is our notion, which is broadly false probably that once we understand our genetic risk factors, we will change our behavior. In fact, science is emerging on this. This shows that once you understand your genetic risk, it does nothing for your behavior. You mm-hmm. still you still behave the same way. So when we understand that, we realize that efforts that are purely behaviorist are doomed to fail. Now, now don't get me wrong. Ultimately, my health and your health is influenced by whether or not we run, whether we eat healthy. but telling us to run and telling us to eat healthy in and of itself is not going to be sufficient.
0: Gotcha. So how does that approach translate to um, kind of a a public health approach to mass violence? What uh, What would such an approach actually look like? I think people might assume, oh, they're gonna talk about gun control and so forth, but are there other aspects to a public health approach to mass violence that uh, yeah. are, are relevant?
1: Yeah, I think, I think a public health approach to mass violence um, asks the, the broad question, what are the social and economic conditions from, with the, w- which are creating the exposure to trauma, and what are the conditions that then mediate the consequence of the trauma? The, 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 one of the biggest, I think, shifts in our thinking about trauma and its consequences is that it's not trauma just happens, everything's okay before and then there are consequences just of the traumatic event. The traumatic Mm -hmm. event is embedded in our lives. It is a function of the world around us and its consequences reflect not only the traumatic event, it actually reflects prior life experiences. So now we know that whether or not I have bad experiences, bad mental health or physical health after a traumatic event depends on the traumatic event, yes, but also on my childhood experiences. It also depends on my social and economic conditions on whether or not I actually have other stressors. We've done work after um, many large-scale traumatic events, for example, showing that uh, what matters to one's health is not, not not just whether or not somebody was in a hurricane, but whether or not they actually have housing, whether or not their children are in schools, whether or not they have a way to look after their parents. So a public health approach to mass uh, to mass trauma says How is the trauma embedded in our lives, and how is it part of the full life course set of exposures from birth all the way through early childhood, through adolescence, through young adult life, through middle adult life, and the full set of factors that include not just my behaviors, but where I live, where I work, where I play, my social networks, the policies that support me, and the full set of Organizational and policy structures that shape my life. So, really, we have to think of a life course perspective, which means we're thinking about health is generated at every stage throughout life, and an eco-social perspective, which is the levels of influence that ultimately shape our health. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's a uh, just a a remarkably different way of thinking about health and thinking about health promotion than we currently have here in the field of violence or in the field of, you know, disease prevention or, or anything like that. Um, what, what suggestions do you have for, if any, I mean, you're, you're not required to know everything, um, uh, for how people can actually start that shift?
1: Well, I think um, we start the shift by talking about it differently. You know, I, I just uh, published a uh, an in- a textbook called Public Health, An Introduction to the Science and Practice of Population Health, which is really intended to be an introductory public health textbook, which really takes this approach that we just discussed, which mm-hmm. is thinking about health as a product over the life course and thinking about health as something that emerges from a full eco-social lens. And, and, and I do think that, um, in so far, Dan, as you said, and I agree with you that this is a, a remarkably different lens than uh, we typically take in the field of uh, traumatic stress studies. It just means that we haven't had this conversation long enough because to my mind, what I'm saying is self-evident. Mm-hmm. It is self-evident that that health is a product of the full set of lifetime experiences and the product of the full of influences in the world around us. I'll, I'll tell you one other uh, metaphor that I use also in the book, which is uh, the metaphor of goldfish in a goldfish bowl, where um, you have goldfish in a bowl and uh, y- you want your goldfish to be healthy. So you tell them to exercise. You want them to swim around their bowl 10 times clockwise, 10 times counterclockwise. And when you feed them the goldfish food, you tell them not to eat too much. And uh, when the goldfish are sick, you get them a good goldfish doctor but the goldfish still die one day. And you say, why did they die? They exercised, they ate well, they I got them to the doctor. Well, the reason they died is because they didn't change their water. Mm-hmm. So the water is a critical part of why goldfish live. And, and and that doesn't obviate the fact that the goldfish exercising and eating well was important. It simply mm-hmm. says that the water also matters. So this goes back to thinking about trauma as part of a full set of contexts. I was thinking about trauma as part of the full set of life experiences influenced by what I'm calling the eco-social set of experiences about where we live, where we work, where we play, and what happens to us in our houses, in our schools, in our places of employment. Yeah,
0: yeah that was a, a, a really powerful metaphor. And, and for anyone who's listening who sort of doubts uh, the, just sort of like, uh, Sandra said, the, the self-evident logic. I, I just would refer you to the book well, uh, what we need to talk about when we talk about health. Um, it's an enormously accessible, easy to read, uh, and amazingly persuasive uh, way of, of discussing and, and um, illustrating a lot of the issues that we've been talking about today. Uh, Sandra, I know that you're very busy and that you've got a lot of stuff going on up there at BU. Um, what kind of stuff is next for you? Are, are you uh, working on an, an, another book?
1: I have a book coming out in um, in a couple of months with a with a colleague uh, here, Dr. Michael Stein, which is called "Pain: the Uncomfortable Conversations About the Public's Health." And it is uh, it is seventy five pieces, each of them under five hundred words. It's really intended to be a very bite sized companion that actually tackles some of these topics and. Uh, intended to be for busy people you can sort of choose any essay under 500 words trying to make some of these points and actually as i'm thinking about a conversation i actually think that uh, um, anybody who's listening who find this interesting might find this interesting because it's really intended to say look how do we nudge the conversation on what health is forward
0: Excellent. Well, I, for one, will certainly be looking forward to that, and I suspect a lot of our listeners will, too. Um, I just want to thank you so much for your time, Sandro. Uh, We've been talking with Dr. Sandro Galea, the dean of the School of Public Health at Boston University, who's uh, told us a lot about public health and how it relates to violence and how we need to think about health promotion differently. Thanks so much for your time, Sandro. We really appreciate it. And
1: a pleasure talking always. All right.
0: Bye-bye. Um, This is Dan Smith, the Director of Technology and Resources for the NMVVRC, and we'll be back soon to talk with you uh, and another interesting guest. Thanks very much.